Hey, this is John Laurie of Tantric, and you are listening to my weekly mixtape with Brian Colburn. Man, if only there was some way I could four count into this thing. Welcome to My Weekly Mixtape, a podcast that takes the classic mixtape approach to building a modern playlist. I'm your host, Brian Colburn. Joining me for tonight's collaboration is John Laurie, drummer for Tantric. John, thank you so much for joining me tonight, man. Ah, thanks for having me on. It's going to be a blast. Oh, we're going to have a good time tonight. I want to kick things off with the question I like to ask all of my guests right at the jump. What does the word mixtape mean to you? Oh, that's a good question. I wasn't prepared for that question. But the I think when I think of a mixtape, obviously there's the idea of a mixtape with a like a cassette where you would, you know, get all of your favorite songs onto a cassette and then play that in your car. And for a while, my car, I drove around for the better part of my early years in a 93 Toyota Camry that only had a cassette player. So we'd have mixtapes of like Kiss and then the B side of it was like Rush. Like the, the mixtapes <laughs> didn't make any sense. So that's what I think about. But then I also think about my early years where it wasn't a tape anymore, but it was like a CD. Yes. And we would burn CDs of like, I would get like super hyped up about a band like Avenged Sevenfold, right? And I would burn all of my favorite Avenged songs onto a CD and then listen to that. And that was my mixtape. And now we've got playlists. So it's like, that's a mixtape. But that, you know, I, I don't know. That's a tough question. Yeah, playlists are different because you kind of just drag the songs in and they're there. But when you were making a mixtape right. or a mix CD, a lot of focus went into the order of the songs and the story you're trying to tell. Whereas now most people just drag... 50 songs onto a playlist and hit shuffle and you kind of remove that element. And that's what we're trying to bring back through this show is actually thinking about the songs you're going to pick. I love it. I love it. That's such a, it's like you really think about it. even when I was creating my ideas or whatever, it's like, you're just dragging and dropping. Like I'm not even doing anything that takes skill or time or like a <laughs> CD burner, you know, like I used to have. So it's, it's kind of crazy that that's where we're at. But I love this idea. I'm super excited to talk about all of these songs. Well, tonight, John and I will be curating a mixtape of the greatest drum tracks. And that's Genres Be Damned. So there are endless directions we can go with this tonight. For me personally, I was looking for one of three things in each of the songs I chose. One, if the song has an iconic beat... Two, if the drums were recorded with a signature sound in mind. And three, if the drummer has an epic mastery of their craft. So I've got a list that's full of endless possibilities, and I'm really curious to see how this unfolds. John, what were you looking for being a drummer yourself? I'm not a drummer. I'm, I'm a bass player. So coming from it as a person who plays this instrument Seven days a week, what were you looking for in the songs that you brought to the table this evening? Very much the same thing. And I think it was so difficult for me because it would be like there were a couple songs that were kind of, you know, it, they're layups, right? You, you already know that that's going to be on the list. Like it, it kind of has to be there. 
And then there are other songs where I'm like, oh, I hold such a place in my heart as me learning the drums as a kid. And so it's like that's iconic to me, even though it might not be iconic to everyone. And I still tried to stay with everyone in mind. Um, my other criteria because of all of this, I'm like thinking to myself, OK, what makes a groove or a fill or a drum tone iconic? Like, what is that? It almost takes the place of the lead singer and takes the place of the guitar player and stands out on its own. And I'm like thinking, OK, when you go to concerts and you see that one guy in the crowd and he's air drumming, that's an <laughs> iconic drum song. That I was trying to think, what are songs that guys air drum to at concerts? And that is kind of where my my list took me. But then again, like I had songs on here that are just iconic to me and I, I just rolled with that. So it's really tough um, as a drummer to pick this objectively because of all the subjectivity that I've had in my life learning this instrument. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's get down to business tonight. As I mentioned, John and I will be curating a greatest drum tracks mixtape, and we're going to use that old cassette deck approach, meaning our mixtape will be broken up into two sides, side A and side B. John is my special guest. We'll begin side A with his first song choice, and then I'll add a song that I feel best follows up his choice. We'll then flip-flop choosing songs until we've mapped out 10 songs for side A. We'll then give our mixtape a proverbial flip and we'll map out side B, only this time I'll kick things off with John choosing second. Overall, our goal for tonight is to craft the best drum tracks mixtape possible through only 20 songs. At the end of the show, you could take our conversation to the next level by visiting the greatest drum tracks page at myweeklymixtape.com and give our final mixtape a listen via the embedded playlist. Finally, if you like what you're hearing on the show, please consider becoming a Patreon mixtaper at patreon.com forward slash myweeklymixtape. Now, John, before I turn it over to you to reveal your track one, some of the fellow mixtapers who follow me at myweeklymixtape on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok have chimed in with their ideal opening tracks for a greatest drum tracks mixtape and I wanted to share a few of them now just to give you and I some food for thought. Patreon mixtaper Cactus Pete chimed in with Rush's Tom Sawyer, along with Michael from Michael's Record Collection. And Cactus Pete chimed in with Van Halen's Hot for Teacher, along with Bobby from the Effin' Cultured podcast. Patreon mixtaper Too Vague podcast chimed in with Frida's I Know There's Something Going On. Eric Chael chimed in with Kisses Creatures of the Night. Chris Bearpaw chimed in with Dave Brubeck Quartet's Take 5 or Benny Goodman's Sing Sing Sing. Rob Jones chimed in with the Pixies' La La Love You. Songs That Don't Suck chimed in with Led Zeppelin's When the Levee Breaks. Jim Bricker chimed in with Tower of Power's Squib Cakes. Mantool's Media chimed in with Iron Maiden's Where Eagles Dare. X Radio X Podcast chimed in with the intro to Dire Straits' Money for Nothing. Count Vlad chimed in with White Noise, Black Mass, and Electric Storm in Hell. And finally, Lance Levine chimed in with Fleetwood Mac's Tusk. So I have just hit every genre from jazz to funk to rock to metal. 
John, with those picks out in the universe, I'm officially pressing the record button on our mixtape, and the floor is yours. Why don't you dive into the song you chose to kick off Side A? Side A, and you could probably guess it because we've talked about it before, is Black Dog by Led Zeppelin. And let me just preface all of this by saying I don't think there's a right answer, and I don't think there's a wrong answer to any of this. And I just like this is the hardest thing because people will go, oh, how could you say that? That's definitely not even the best Led Zeppelin, John Bottom beat, you know, or it'll be like, oh, well, it, 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 Led Zeppelin, that can't be the best one. It's got to be, you know, I don't know, it, it, whatever. And, and you just go, I know, I know, but I just have to pick for myself. And if I'm picking for myself as number one, I am one of the biggest John Bonham fans of all time and there's a bunch of us he changed the modern face of drumming for what it is and you and i have had you know our conversations about led zeppelin mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it's just his drumming and his pocket and his feel and even i i was trying to pick best led zeppelin song which is so hard to do best bonham influence song that's so hard to do but when you look at what black dog is it's a rock song number one it's rock song with an odd drum beat behind a riff that should be da 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 and he took it and made it a backbeat and totally transformed the thing to da 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 ba da 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 you know of course it doesn't translate well when i'm the one that's just like air drumming it myself but you get the idea is that he totally changed the modern face of drumming and this song in particular is so great. The drums are fat. The fills are big. Everything about John Bonham is in this song. And I could have picked 20 Led Zeppelin songs, if not more, that could have fit in this spot. But that's what I'm going with. I love it. You obviously scooped me with Led Zeppelin. Why yeah. would we not talk about John Bonham? I'm glad he's kicking things off. I actually went with Moby Dick from Led Zeppelin 2 because I thought you've got this amazing drum beat in the beginning and then you've got a solo in the middle, which there's not mm -hmm. many songs that have drum solos in them anymore. So I kind of wanted to go with one and this is that was kind of John Bonham's moment to shine. But I love what you said about Black Dog. He could have very easily played a different beat for that song and it would have completely changed the impact that his backbeat style has with that riff i actually chose black dog as one of my greatest opening guitar riff songs all the way back on episode one oh. and i talked about the fact that the riff is amazing but if you put a different beat behind it it's a totally different song and the riff might not be as good but i really believe that bonham's backbeat on that song made the guitar even more iconic because of the way it sat over what the band was doing underneath of it. Right. I totally agree with that. That song would have not been the same had it not been for his idea to change that beat on its head and turn it around. And then you've got these fills. You've got the way even the live aspect of them as a band recording it. It's not to a click. Obviously, you can hear that. So for them to be so tight, you hear that little stick click in the very beginning of each phrase when they come in that do, 
you hear that little stick click they had to be like all in sync with one another and have that totally rehearsed in order to pull that thing off in a live recording to tape like that is it's nuts and the drums just really bring that whole thing out and you know classic john bonham fills we we call it the bucket of fish fill the bucket of fish bucket of fish bucket of fish um, and and so those are all classic john bonham fills in there and and it's also classic john bonham to not overplay too um he could have done like a ton of crazy drum fills but especially that one fill that's at the very tail end of the song ba ba do 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 ba do ba do ba do do ba do he, he has like this really simple fill leading into a really cool drum beat. He didn't need anything bigger than that. So it's like he just was the king of pocket, the king of not overplaying and overplaying when needed with songs like Moby Dick. So again, hard decision to make, but that's the one I went with. All right. And following that up, I want to keep that energy going. You've got that black dog energy. And I want that second song to really follow it up. But I want the opening beat to be the iconic standout part of this song. So I'm going to go back to 1975's Toys in the Attic, and I'm going to go with my man Joey Kramer from Aerosmith, and I'm going to go Walk This Way. It's an obvious classic rock staple, but this beat is so iconic that nearly a decade later, it was iconic in both the classic rock arena and then the hip-hop arena because Run DMC and Aerosmith took that exact same beat and turned it into an iconic song for another generation. And then you fast forward digital underground sampled that beat and put it into same song in the movie, nothing but trouble. Again, that beat is iconic. All you need to hear is the, you know, what's happening. It doesn't matter what version of the song, you know, the song within a, like if that's on hurdle, I'm getting it in one second. That is the kind of drum beat that is iconic. It is not a complicated drum beat, but it pulls you right in and the rest of the band just does the work on it. And if it wasn't for that beat, Walk This Way would not be the iconic song it is today. So following up Black Dog, I'm going to go with Aerosmith, Walk This Way. Love it. Love it. Oh, you were reading my mind for the, the second slot on this thing. I, I was looking at my list and i'm like i bet i know where he's going and then you said toys in the attic and i was like oh he's saying it he's doing it that's the song <laughs> so you just we were on very much in sync on that one love it love it that's exactly everything you just said is you know from that first hi-hat hit like you could that hi-hat bark you that if you just hear that you're like oh i know what song it is <laughs> like you already know it's so iconic. And of course, you know, very timeless. Um, it's one of those songs that has just transcended the generations and will probably continue to. They're, you know, probably, in, in my opinion, the greatest American rock band that was able to just transcend. You know, they didn't die out with the 70s like so many bands did. They didn't die out in the 80s. They were the 90s, 2000s, so many years later, even to this point of just total stardom. They're a household name, always will be. And part of it is that groove and just simple, right? It's. I feel like we're going to talk a lot about songs being 
simple grooves, but so effective to the point of that making that song so iconic. That song wouldn't have been the same if it wasn't for that groove. All right. Now you have the tough challenge of following those two songs up. That is tough. But I will say going along with that, I was trying to figure out what would go well with the next song. I don't want to totally kill momentum as far as like I could picture myself listening to this in the car and going, well, I'm still hyped up. So I still want to continue to be hyped up. And I would go for Alex Van Halen, hot for teacher, Van Halen, iconic. We knew it was going to hit the list eventually. It's just a matter of when. And I think that this is the perfect time for it because if you're listening to a drummer's iconic drum track song, this has to at least be somewhere early on in the list, I think. I love that. What? the absolute hell is he doing like when you hear it for the first time it almost sounds like there's seven drummers playing at once there's just so much happening before he even gets into the beat whatever he's doing just kind of building into the beat and then when that beat hits you're hyped before any other music happens it just instantly catches you and i mean you talk about the greats like neil pert and you talk about you know, the progressive drummers like Mike Portnoy, Alex Van Halen has to be in that in that realm, even though he didn't really go there a lot in Van Halen. But Hot for Teacher, oh, he went there and it is so good and it is so perfect. And again, I've heard cover bands attempt that song and it's hard because if the drummer doesn't perfect it, It doesn't matter if you have Eddie on Van Halen on stage with you. If the drummer doesn't get that part right, the song's over. You've lost. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's crazy is from what I know about the song, it's layered bass drum tracks on top of one another. So physically impossible to do if you're doing every single note and every single hit that's in there. Um, It's like four bass drum tracks, you know, kind of layered together in order to create that very intro. But when he did it live, he did it live and it sounded pretty darn close to the record. Right. And anybody that starts off that drum intro, you know what's coming. You know exactly what the song is. You're not going to start that intro and then go into like, you know, a share song. You're like, you're going to start that intro and you're going to play hot for teacher. The thing I also love about Alex Van Halen and why he's so underrated because Everybody knows Neil Peart. Everybody knows Mike Portnoy, like you said. Everybody knows Bonham and Bill Ward and whatever. And somehow Alex Van Halen always flies under the radar because it's Eddie is really the big part of that band. And then two front men who are just like over the top front men. You've got Sammy Hagar and David Lee Roth. And Alex somehow flies under the radar, but he should be acknowledged for how jazzy of a player he was. He was mm-hmm. a jazz drummer, right? Like, it, it, no doubt about it. He was a jazz drummer playing in a hard rock band. And in all of the Van Halen discography, especially the early stuff, there was a lot of jazz and blues and things of that nature in it to where you're like, oh, he's the perfect fit for this band. Could you imagine Van Halen with anyone else on the drums? It's no. like he was a jazz drummer first and foremost, and he took that playing style to a hard rock level. And you're just it, it, listen to 
isolated drum tracks of Alex Van Halen. And you'll, you'll really see the genius of what was going on behind his playing. Crazy ride stuff. Like, talk about, don't even talk about the very intro of Hot for Teacher. When he eventually switches to the ride, what that right hand's doing, that swing pattern. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, that thing is ridiculous. It's hard to do. It's a big challenge. So, yeah, it's got to be number three on the list, I think. Well, I am going to follow. You have a drummer here in Alex Van Halen that has to follow one of the greatest guitarists of all time. He's behind one of the greatest guitarists of all time. So I'm going to follow that up with a drummer who was behind one of the greatest guitarists of all time. And I'm going to go all the way back to 1967. And I'm going to go with Mitch Mitchell on the album Are You Experienced? And I'm going to go with the Jimi Hendrix Experience and Fire. Ah, yeah. It has an upbeat, rocking nature. But if you listen to that song, the beat is anything other than ordinary. He's got the a little bit of a funk thing going. He's flexing the snare a lot. He's going, you know, boom, da, do, da, and da. And, and it really drives the song into other levels. And he's doing a ton of fills and it's very manic. And he somehow keeps up with Jimmy. I had the amazing opportunity to see Mitch Mitchell perform before he passed away at one of the Jimi Hendrix tribute concerts that would tour around the country. And seeing him play was otherworld. Obviously, he was up in age at this point, but the pocket and the skill that he had was just as exciting to watch as the guitarists on stage that were burning up Hendrix solos. So for me... Again, being behind one of the greatest of all times is not an easy thing to do, but Mitch Mitchell pulled it off, and I'm going with Jimi Hendrix Experience and Fire. Love it. Oh, I had that on my ideas of songs to talk about, and that's like right underneath Hot for Teacher. I'm not even kidding. And so that was the next one that came to my mind when I was thinking about these iconic drum grooves, and I was like, okay, well, I haven't really talked about all of the songs yet, of course, on my thing. But I'm like, oh, I was thinking about Hot for Teacher and I was like, okay, what else? What else is jazzy? What else is in that realm of like 70s iconic drum parts? And Fire for sure was the next one that came to my mind. I was like, oh, Mitch Mitchell. You got to figure all these guys of this generation because we've kind of stayed relatively in the same age range of drummers, right? There's nobody totally new yet. And so all of these guys were jazz guys because rock music wasn't really a thing, right? They were inventing it as they were playing. Right. So all of his fills were very much based in rudiments, very snare drumming, um, very articulate and just jazzy playing. Nothing super heavy, but just that that pop, that upbeat, that very, you know, fills all over the place style of playing and i love it that's like the 70s to me when you think of guys like that you gotta think of mitch mitchell not very much a household name comparatively to the other ones on the list but if it wasn't for him that song would sound totally different sound totally different and you needed to bring it to be behind hendrix i mean come on let's be honest here yeah so now you gotta follow that up oh man okay i kind of like it's it's so oh this is tough this is tough I didn't expect us to be in this situation so early on um <laughs> um oh jeez okay all right I've got an idea I've got an idea and it might not be a good idea but 
I think that this is in the realm similarly to... Uh, uh, I don't want to do that. Okay, I'm changing my mind. I'm changing my <laughs> mind, and I'm going to go with... Because this is so tough. But we're going with Iconic, and you can't talk about anything more iconic than Back in Black by ACDC. All right. There's so many songs that could go in this spot, but I'm going with Back in Black. We've kind of, you know, 80s, 70s, we're kind of dancing around this generation, and we have some killer players. Aerosmith, Joey Kramer, not so much as the Chops guy. But the other three that we have on the list are all about the chops, all about the iconic drum fills, iconic beats. ACDC <laughs> is that band with Phil Rudd that they are straight rock, just straight. But the reason I picked Back in Black out of any ACDC song is because everybody in the crowd, even if you're not a drummer, is doing ba do ba do ba do ba do 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 Everybody's doing that hand motion of that da 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 Everyone's doing it. That is so iconic. When I think about songs to like teach a new student, because I do a lot of teaching, and when I think about songs to teach, this is one of the first ones because of all the syncopation. And of course, you're playing a more simple drum groove. But try to play it with the feel that Phil Rudd played it with originally. Try to do it. Try to, I can't do it. We were talking, I did this drum clinic not too long ago, and, and this guy, uh, another fantastic drummer, Kevin Sofera, we did a drum clinic together. We spent a little bit of our time talking about ACDC. We're like, try to play with that feel. Try to do it. You can't, because this guy sat in such a pocket behind so many great musicians. He had to fit it for that groove, for that fill, for that guitar riff, and it fits so perfectly. Iconic. I had ACDC on my list, of course. Believe it or not, though, I had Thunderstruck because I did it from the drum sound perspective. Not So to me, Chris Slade is a much heavier, much faster rock drummer, where Phil Rudd is much more of your pocket old school drummer. I think it's, believe it or not, two different styles completely. But the one thing that as a kid I remember vividly are the two kick drums that he had above his head for the Thunderstruck video. And he's pulling the sticks and he's slamming them over his head. And you get that thunder and you get the boo boo. And the only way to do that was hitting the kick drums. And it was just a sound that I remembered. So it's a different thought process for ACDC, but I do like the fact with where this list is going that you went with Phil Rudd because Chris Slade, I don't know if would have fit where we're heading right now. Right, and he was great too, of course. that uh, Everybody in the crowd is still going to be doing thunder, you know, yes. for Thunderstruck. Everybody's still going to be doing that. But, you know, when you think about the guy that was in it the longest, took that hiatus or whatever he did, but when you think about Iconic, that song for sure is in there. But I, I don't know. I've got that soft spot for Phil Rudd because I've heard it said that drummers know what paradiddles are. And, and most people kind of understand what a paradiddle is, even if you're not a drummer, if you're just a musician, you get right, left, right, right, left, right, left, left it is a paradiddle. But apparently people would go up to Phil Rudd and mess with him and go, hey, Phil, what's a paradiddle? And he would tell them 
to go F off <laughs> in, in the nicest terms. So <laughs> he never knew what a paradiddle was. I still don't know if he does or not, but he didn't need it. He didn't need it. He was playing iconic songs, iconic grooves, and you don't need, sometimes you don't need all of that stuff. You just need the right pocket and the right feel to fit the song. And from there, I'm going to kick it up a little heavier and I'm going to get a little more complicated now because Phil was kind of a pocket drummer. There's nothing really over the top and crazy. And I want to introduce some over the top and crazy. Love it. So I'm going to go with Nico McBrain and I'm going to go off 1984's Power Slave. And we're going with Iron Maiden, my absolute favorite song from the band, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Whoa. This song is metal. It's hard rock. It's got progressive rock in it. It's long. It's bombastic. It's everything that there is to love about Iron Maiden. But if you listen to the drums in this, he is doing so much. And it, it, it he, the drums are actually a part of this music. And I don't mean like, uh, you know, you're playing notes on a guitar, A, B, C, D, whatever. The drums are really driving where the song is heading in this kind of progressive, extra long masterpiece. And to me, it's telling the story because if you simplified the drums in any way, the song might become monotonous and boring and it never does. Sure. So I am going with Iron Maiden, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. It's a fan favorite, and it's my absolute favorite Maiden track. Yeah, it's that's not the one that I had on my list of Iron Maiden. I actually had Where Eagles Dare. I completely get it. Yeah, and you could pick. I mean, I also at one point was toying with the idea of Run to the Hills as well. But, you know, there's Hallowed Be Thy Name is another mm -hmm. one that's all iconic. All the fills are iconic. But I love this because I love Nico McBrain personally because I found out not too long ago, a couple of years ago, that he's a single pedal player. He doesn't play double bass, which is crazy. I didn't know that. I was like, oh, Iron Maiden, that's, you know, that's definitely double bass. And then I started thinking about him like, no, it's not. Actually, wait a second. He doesn't ever do double bass. He does fast fills and he does a lot, but he doesn't play double bass and that goes to show that a metal band doesn't necessarily need somebody that can play double bass which i think is so awesome because for the record i'm mostly a single pedal player i play a little bit of double bass not much but i love what you can do he's like i think he, he was quoted saying like one foot is hard enough to figure out so <laughs> i add two i love that that's such a great thing and um that's a great choice awesome i love it yeah, so what are you going to follow up the Iron Maiden gallop oh, with? Because that's what uh, the drums really are to me in Iron Maiden. You get yes. that gallop that's an Iron Maiden song, whether it's fast and run for the hills, there's a gallop to an Iron Maiden song. And that's something that yeah. Nico brings to that table. So what are you following that up with? I don't think I could go with something that follows a gallop, but I can go with something that has just as crazy of a drum part and just as insane a drummer and he couldn't not be on this list. So I'm going to put Neil Peart, Rush, Tom Sawyer. Yes, of course. Number one, this is really hard for me and maybe people will hate me for saying it, but I am not the biggest fan of Rush. I'm a big fan of Neil Peart. 
not a huge fan of Rush itself. I think it might be something with Getty Lee's voice. Sometimes the time changes are a little too much for me to listen to. Like if I'm driving, like you don't want to listen to time changes while you're in traffic. You know, like that's just not it's not always the most fun. But I think what I really love about Tom Sawyer, again, on that same idea of air drumming it at a concert, everybody's doing it. Number one, very iconic. It's a big hit for them, of course. And the very middle of the song with all those drum fills. Tell me a drummer that hasn't studied that ever. Like that's you have to study that when when you're a drummer. And even though I was never the biggest fan of Rush, I studied a lot of Neil Peart stuff because I knew that he was the professor. He was the guy, you know, so it's uh, and still lives on, even though he's unfortunately passed. His drumming still lives on. People still study like there's no tomorrow Rush songs. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Obviously, he was being talked about tonight. I had La Villa Strangiato in my list. Instrumental. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. it's all over the top. It's one of those crazy Rush songs that I love so much. One of my best friends who passed away back in 2011. Every time I got in the car, he'd be like, I'm choosing the music. And I knew the first song he was putting on. And it was La Villa Strangiato. And rest in peace, Dom. I love you, man. Every time I hear Rush, I immediately have to start with that. But obviously, Tom Sawyer is the iconic song where everybody really sees because that song is played on Top 40 radio. La Villa, Mm -hmm. not so much. So I completely get where we're going with it. And following it up, you went a little proggy here. So I feel Uh like... I. I, I still want to stay. I feel like we're staying classic here. We're staying classic on side yeah. A. So I am going to stay classic and I'm going to go back to 1971 with a drummer who's probably not a household name, but should be because playing for Jethro Tull is not always the easiest thing in the world. So I'm going to go with Clive Bunker, but I'm sticking with the heavy side of Jethro Tull and I'm going to go with the title track from 1971's Aqualung. This song is done in a lot of different parts. The drums really drive it through all these different timing changes. And I think coming out of Rush, it still keeps a little bit of the progressive element to the hard rock sound. And I feel like it's not so much of a left turn because I didn't know if this song would fit. But when you listen to what he's doing, in this song, it's absolutely incredible. And unfortunately, in the original mix, the drums kind of sound muddy. Yep. But Stephen Wilson did a remix of the album in the 2010s, the 40th anniversary remix, and he did it in complete stereo and he isolated every drum and made it sound absolutely massive. I do not necessarily fall for the whole, hey, we're doing a remix of an album. Aqualung's 40th anniversary Stephen Wilson remix makes the album a 20 out of 10. He brings it to another level. All the Stephen Wilson Jethro Tull remixes are that legendary as a sidebar, but this one completely blew my mind. So I am following up Rush's Tom Sawyer with Jethro Tull's Aqualung. That's awesome. I didn't have Jethro Tull on my list. But I'm glad that you said that because that track is phenomenal drumming wise. 
and, and then again, Jethro Tull was an out there band regardless. So in order to be in that group, you had to be just as much out there of a drummer as well, right? Just to fit in, just to keep up. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I could go so many different ways. Oh, this is tough. There are a couple things I could do here. Um, okay, I got it. I got it. Just as good a player as anybody on here, but also one of the most notable drummers, if you are a drummer, but also a part of such a big super group. I'm going to go with Jeff Percaro off of Toto with Rosanna. Ooh. And the only reason I say that is because this is the perfect halftime shuffle groove. And there are a bunch of those out there. Of course, Bernard Purdy being the champion of the halftime shuffle with the Purdy shuffle. He's got it named after him. And then John Bonham taking it later and doing the full in the rain shuffle, right? And then Jeff Percaro taking both of those ideas, both of those halftime shuffle ideas. And he's quoted saying, I'm going to butcher the quote, but he's like, I took Bernard's idea and John Bonham's idea and put it together. And this is what I created. And that's what you get with Rosanna. Such a cool track. And Jeff Percaro also is one of those drummers that is a drummer's drummer, you know, super iconic grooves in, in everything that Toto did but also all of his studio and session work as well is huge. He's got one of the longest lists of guys he's played for. They were part of that sort of era of like the wrecking crew where it would be, mm-hmm. here's the song and you're going to play drums on it and good. All right, print it. We're done. So he was just a great drummer all around and definitely one of the top players out there that, that ever existed. I love that pick, and I'll tell you, I know Weezer had a lot of fun when people kept asking them to cover Africa, and they said, we're dropping a Toto cover tomorrow, and they dropped Rosanna, which I thought was really Mm -hmm. clever troll a couple of days before they dropped their cover of Africa, which everyone fell in love with. But I'll be honest, I love Weezer, but he did not nail that groove the same way there's just something that didn't feel right about Rosanna because he didn't nail that it's literally the feel the feel didn't feel as natural to me as mm-hmm. the original yep if you're a player who's technical but doesn't have feel you can't play that song for sure that's the one big thing about this in, in drumming in general you can't teach feel right you can teach technical things you can teach those aspects of drumming where you know it, it here's all of your subdivisions and here's odd time and here's this and that and hand technique and whatever but if you have no feeling behind what you're playing it will translate just as poorly right mm-hmm, like as mm-hmm. somebody that's got great feel but only knows how to keep the two and four so when you have great feel and great chops it's like whoa you could do literally anything you can do anything and jeff Picaro, one of the best when it came to feel and this halftime shuffle is like just enough behind the beat to fit perfectly right like it's it's like he's a little behind the beat like very very slightly if you were to map it out he would be just a little behind 
but it fits the song. It fits so perfectly. And in order to hear that and know that this is where the beat is supposed to sit, that's something in itself. Like the beat's hard enough. The beat is hard enough. But being able to play where that beat is supposed to go is way harder. And this actually makes my last track for side one easy coming out of this. Because hearing Rosanna in my head, I just hear the perfect song to close this side out. And I'm going to go with a drummer whose name is in the band name through all the different years of changes. But I am going to go back to 1979 and I'm going with the legendary Mick Fleetwood of Fleetwood Mac. And I'm going to go with the title track of Tusk, bringing a drum solo into the mix here. And I'm bringing in an iconic tribal beat that somehow works with a full marching band and an acoustic guitar and whatever drugs they did to imagine Tusk being a song that would work and making it work. The vocals are all dreamy over this weird acoustic guitar that you got Lindsay doing and the harmonies are a little Alice in Chains like hitting the half notes in the harmonies and it's creepy. But then all of a sudden this happy marching band comes in and I had no idea what I'm listening to when I first heard that as a kid. And here I am in my forties and I have no idea what I'm listening to, but I know it's amazing. I know it's iconic. I know I love it. And Lance Levine chimed in with this as well. I got to give a shout out to him. Another great podcaster. Love this song, and I think it's a weird, fun way to close out this eclectic side one. Fleetwood Mac, Tusk. I love it. Mick Fleetwood is one of the greats because just as much as anybody, he had feel and he had the know-how for certain grooves. Like, you know, go your own way, right? That's Mm -hmm. such a great groove as well. Anything where you have to just support the vocalist because the vocalists were really the big part of Fleetwood Mac. And even still, like, think about it. This band has come back in modern sex, right? Like that one video did super well on TikTok of that guy skateboarding down like a hill in California. And the drums still fit. They still hold up to this day. Modern players are playing like Mick Fleetwood to help support backing vocals or vocalists of whatever genres nowadays. And it's all that simplistic playing. The thing I love about Tusk is that tribal essence to it. Really great groove. Really great groove if you can get a lot of people together to play that as well. There's a lot of moving parts to it, too. So I love Tusk. That's a great choice. And with that, Mixtapers, we conclude side A of our greatest drum tracks mixtape, which consists of Led Zeppelin's Black Dog, Aerosmith's Walk This Way, Van Halen's Hot for Teacher, Jimi Hendrix Experiences Fire, ACDC's Back in Black, Iron Maiden's Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, Rush's Tom Sawyer, Jethro Tull's Aqualung, Toto's Rosanna, and Fleetwood Mac's Tusk. Remember, you can head over to myweeklymixtape.com to hear all of the songs we're discussing in this mix tonight through the playlist embedded on the episode page. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, 
Even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. So, John, before we flip things over and kick off side B, what's 2023 looking like over at the Tantra camp and what does the band have in store this year? Uh, just really, really busy. We had some time off. We had a hiatus for a little bit. I don't know if you could call it a hiatus if like four months or three months is a hiatus. But we took a break because we were touring since I joined the band in 2020. We've been touring nonstop for like two and a half years. And it's just been a blast and it's been crazy. And so we've had off since November, since like right before Thanksgiving. And now we're hitting it again in March. March starts up a bunch of dates. We're going out with Smile Empty Soul. And then April starts up a tour with Head PE, Edema and Crazy Town. And so it's called like the New Metal Madness Tour. It's going to be really sick, but we're going all over the country. That tour starts in California makes its way to Jersey at one point, goes back and, you know, we're we're just doing this giant loop. So it's just going to be really busy, but I'm looking forward to getting back out and playing. And then hopefully on the horizon is a new record. I would love to, uh, you know, we've been talking about it and throwing those ideas out, but hopefully it actually happens. Awesome. And alongside of Tantric, you also teach drumming as well. Why don't you tell people a little bit about that and then how they can get in touch with you if maybe they want to learn more? Yeah, so I do teach a lot. I do Skype lessons for anybody that lives out of state or too far away or just wants to stay home. And so I do, I do a lot of Skype lessons. I teach at a place called um, All-Star Music Empire in Flemington, New Jersey, if you're in the area. And I do private lessons as well. And you can find me at johnsdrumstudio.com. And that it's J-O-N-S, by the way. <laughs> I mean, my parents had to be weird not putting an age <laughs> in there. But johnsdrumstudio.com or johnsdrumstudio at gmail.com if you want to hit me up uh, with an email or johnsdrumstudio on Instagram. You'll find me there. I post a lot of nonsense. So, you know, come in and have a laugh at my expense. I was just going to say <laughs> your Instagram and TikTok channels are truly one of my favorites because as a fellow musician, you're doing the musician humor and you're hitting a lot of the tropes on the head and having fun with them. And I get a kick out of that. So definitely oh, worth awesome. the follow. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I love getting creative and I love comedy. I love laughing at, you know, anything that I ever watch on TV is comedy based or music based. And so when I can bring those two ideas together and laugh at my own expense, I'm always for it. All right. Now we are on to side B and I get to kick things off. 
And I'm going to go with a song that actually includes four drummers at once. Or if you're in a live setting, let's say a 20,000 person arena, it's going to be 20,000 and four drummers. And those first four drummers are John Deacon, Roger Taylor, Brian May, and Freddie Mercury. I'm going off of 1981's News of the World, and I'm going with the easiest beat in the world, but one of the most iconic, Queen, We Will Rock You. There is nothing hard about this song, and yet it is absolutely one of the most, if not the most iconic drum beat ever because everybody could do it. And that's what I love about it. There's been covers of this song. I know Warrant did a cover of it. As great as the hard rock version that Queen does is, this version is otherworldly in the world of great drum tracks. And I couldn't picture a drum track playlist without it. So Queen, we will rock you. That's a great choice. And when you were saying it, I kind of got like goosebumps because I'm like thinking about all the live footage I've watched where they do start it up. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that is sick. And I I, told, I struggled with putting this on my little list of iconic ones only because, like you said, this is the drum song that everybody knows. And so whenever I get like a six-year-old in on a drum lesson or a five-year-old, somebody that they can only do the most simple thing, I get them doing We Will Rock You. Every kid knows the song already. You know, any mm-hmm. adult knows the song already. So playing boom, boom, bop, boom, boom, bop on the bass and the snare instead of stomping and clapping is a great way to get a kid to learn how to play a drum song. And you can go, hey, you learned a song today and it was your first drum lesson. Like, that's pretty sick. You know, so I I really struggled with putting this on there, maybe because I've heard it so many times. Yeah, I, I actually thought I was giving you overkill here. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's good. No, you're good. I love it. I and and you know what? After you said it though, then it took me back to that original idea of like everybody can do it. It's such a communal, iconic drum beat that it's like y- you could be anybody and be able to play this you know people have so much trouble clapping on the two and four but when it comes to stomp stomp clap everybody's on beat everybody knows how to do it so i just love it i think yeah i'm as much as i didn't want to pick it i'm glad that you did because that's a tough pick yeah, and there's only one place to put it, and it's at the start of the side, because I feel like now I'm giving you a pretty clean slate, because if you think about the original, it slides right into We Are the Champions, which is a slower song, which obviously we Queen is off the table now, but you could go anywhere with this song for the rest of Side B, so I'll be curious to see what you do with it. Oh, geez, because I could totally bring one in from left field, like just the weirdest idea or oh man okay all right this is tough this is tough but i know what i'm going to go with because it's iconic in a number of ways but i also think it's some of his best playing and you gotta love to hate this guy lars from metallica master of puppets oh okay you went with master of puppets (laughs) okay let me explain to anybody that doesn't know about Lars or doesn't know much about Metallica, which I, I, it would be hard not to if you're listening to this podcast. But Lars 
in his heyday in the 80s was like such a sick drummer. He's the best drummer for Metallica. He will always be the like who else could you get to play in Metallica and do just as good a job as he does? Is he the most technically proficient drummer? No. Is he playing anything else other than Metallica? No, he's always just going to play songs that are Metallica songs. And if he's not and he's playing like a Justin Bieber song, you know, he's playing it like Lars from Metallica. It's just his thing, right? He's got a vibe to how he plays. Half of it's overplaying, half of it's crashing on the two and four. But Master of Puppets is, in my opinion, one of the heights of his career. And it's a song that everybody knows kind of because of Stranger Things. All the younger kids are all getting hip on, you know, Master of Puppets. That makes me sound old when I say getting hip on. But (laughs) Master of Puppets, Master of Puppets is a great song drum wise. It's fast. It's fun. And um, the drum work in it is great. I think it's like the height of his playing is in Master of Puppets. I'm so glad you picked that one because it makes my life easier because I had two different Metallica songs on my list for two different reasons. And the first one was Metallica's one from Injustice for All because that was the song that really introduced me to Metallica. I knew Master of Puppets and Ride the Lightning from my cousins. But when I first heard one and I saw the video on MTV, I'm like, hey, this is my Metallica song now. Like, I got to go to my cousins and say, hey, I know this new Metallica song. But the double kick at the end of one, before the band kicks in, the Like, to me, that was as driving as the guitars. So it felt very musical to me. But then I also had Enter Sandman on the list from a recording aspect. I feel like the drums at the opening of Enter Sandman are some of the largest sounding studio drums I've ever heard in my life. Bob Rock captured this sound where it didn't sound like toms anymore. It actually sounded like thunder when that song starts. They're so big and so heavy. They they surround you. And it's just an iconic drum sound. So I definitely wanted to chime in on that one. I'm just curious because you record drums, obviously all the stuff you do for recording for yourself. That is not an easy sound to master. No pun intended. Yeah, exactly. That is, uh, I think that the Black album changed the landscape of drum sound. And it, you know, lots of high attack where you hear the crispness of each drum, but you also hear the bottom end of each drum. Like, listen to uh, wherever, what's the track? Wherever I'm in Rome. Yeah, it's listen to that track. And that snare in the beginning, or sad but true, you know, Mm -hmm. from a drum sound perspective, you now started to feel the drums instead of them being this like two dimensional paper thin drum sound. And they're from the 70s and 80s. There have been really great drum sounds. But when you go into this Metallica Black album, that took modern drum sounds to what we hear today you know it, it like any i love them so i'm not going to hate on them but nickelback any nickelback record yes. is that 
it's a black album drum sound and any you could pick any band that shine down you could pick not so much anything from like the early 2000s because it started to get more grungy again and less like produced but any modern 2000s rock onward 2010s even to where we're at now is very much black album influenced I was actually hoping you would say Nickelback because when I first heard San Quentin, their latest single, I immediately turned to my wife and said, they're going for the black album drum sound. And she just turned uh-huh. back and she said, that's nice, dear. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't those one-sided conversations fantastic? <laughs> yeah. But honestly, I'm glad you mentioned Nickelback. I am not a hater either. I think they're a great band. But now coming out of Metallica, I have kind of a a bunch of ways I could go. I can go heavier, but I think I'm going to stay heavy, but peel it back a little bit, but get a little more technical than Lars. And I'm going to go with something new or new ish. The definitely the newest song we've talked about tonight. I'm going to go back to 2019 and I'm going to go with the album fear inoculum and the amazing Danny carry on tools. Numa, the second track on the album This song is one of my favorite Tool songs ever. It's ridiculously long. It's ridiculously heavy and slow and weird and trippy. But in the chorus, Carrie just goes on these fills that just blow my mind. And it is like the song is slow, but he's doing these ridiculously fast fills. And they're clashing with each other. And they're fighting with each other. And it adds a tension to an amazing song that does not feel like it's a past 10 minute song. And it is. And I absolutely love it. So following up Metallica, I'm going to go with Tools Numa. Love it. And you know what? I'm not the biggest Tool fan, but I think Carrie's drumming is fantastic. So it's like when you hear songs that are Tool songs are tool-esque you know any prog rock drummer or any modern prog rock drummer that you hear is kind of pulling notes out of tools playbook and carrie's drumming is very much over the top very much rooted in thought and timing you know like you gotta think about these things and sit down and go okay well what do i want to do here you don't just pull that off right you don't just improv those songs you have to really think about them and i think his drumming is totally that and i love where you went with it because i would i really want to work this song into here especially this drummer i just don't know which one but i'm gonna go for it and i'm gonna say avenge sevenfold jimmy the rev Bat country Ooh, okay and i have so many favorite Avenge Sevenfold songs. I wanted to pick one that is, you know, showcasing his talent, of course, and his drum fills, but also something that's more along the lines of a hit because people know it and it's iconic in that respect. Lots of drummers cover this song. Millions of drummers have covered this song. It's one of the harder ones to do. It's very fast. Lots of fast fills. But Jimmy the Rev was one of those drummers that was so out there. If you don't know Avenged Sevenfold and haven't listened to their discography, especially the early years, you're missing out because this guy was on another level of drumming. There's other songs off this record. This record in particular, City of Evil, fantastic drumming throughout it. The Rev was a huge loss. I mean, he was such a huge loss that when he passed, 
the only person they could turn to for the Nightmare album was Mike Portnoy. And that tells you something. When you have to turn to the drummer for Dream Theater to try to capture the spirit that the Rev brought to the kit. So I absolutely love that pick. And you know what? I think coming out of it, I'm going to stick with Mike Portnoy now that I brought him up. And I'm going to follow up Avenged Sevenfold and I'm going to go back to 1992's Image and Words and I'm going to go with Dream Theater's Pull Me Under. A little bit slower, a little bit more of a hard rock track, but there's something about the drums in this song. It's not the Mike Portnoy, what the hell am I listening to? I can't comprehend what he's doing because it's so amazing. Drums. It is so amazing though. Let me let me stress but it's definitely a more digestible dream theater song, which is why they have a greatest hits album called greatest hit and 21 other pretty cool songs. (laughs) It was definitely the one where everybody, so I know I'm going mainstream to the dream theater crowd and I know there's a lot of other songs I could pull here, but I'm going to go with the more mainstream one dream theaters. Pull me under. That's a great choice. I love Mike Portnoy as a drummer, you know, any of the stuff that he's ever really touched, like you said, with Nightmare for Avenged or, you know, even the winery dog stuff. It's kind of like, mm. uh, you know, it's just a rock band with you've got it's a super group, of course. Richie Kotzen, Billy Sheehan and Mike Portnoy. That's a trio that can't be stopped, you know, and they are just a plus musicians. And so anything that they write, even the most simple rock song is going to sound sick. But Dream Theater, Pull Me Under, I had a student once ask me, hey, can we play Pull Me Under? I'm like, I don't know if I can play Pull Me Under. (laughs) So you might have to ask Mike Portnoy because him and Mike Mangini, you know, now the newer, he hasn't been in. He's been in for a while now, but Mike Mangini, they're the only two that can pull that stuff off. Yeah. Um, And they're a dream theater is also a super group but they wouldn't have been the same band if it wasn't for mike portnoy that's for sure right agreed 100 percent. so now i'm giving you a little bit of a proggy area to kind of pull off of from there as we got the last half of side b here to go Jeez, i uh, this is tough i i think instead of going prog what I really want to do is keep it modern-ish. And the song's already old. It's already history. But the band is still very prominent. And the two drummers of this band have to be in here in some respect. So I'm going with, it's Dave Grawl, Foo Fighters, Everlong. Awesome. Because if people don't know, this whole album was recorded by another drummer. And the, the Color and Shape album. It was recorded by another drummer. So if you don't know, it wasn't Taylor Hawkins on the kit for this song because he wasn't in the band yet. But they had another drummer before Taylor. He didn't cut it. He recorded this whole record. And then Dave Grawl went in and said, "Ah, never mind, I'm just going to do it myself. So he went in and re-recorded the whole thing. And that's who you hear on Everlong. Not to put any shade towards Taylor Hawkins because he's got just as many iconic songs off the Foo Fighters discography. And, you know, what a loss to the drumming community. I was just talking about it to my girlfriend, Katie, last night. And she similarly was like, oh, really? That, that must have been a loss. But she doesn't understand. She doesn't know where I'm coming from with 
this because yeah. Taylor Hawkins took Dave Grawl's parts and just made them like 10 times better. There was this mutual understanding in the Foo Fighters where Dave Grawl said, my favorite drummer of all time is Taylor Hawkins. And Taylor Hawkins always said, my favorite drummer of all time is Dave Grawl. They just loved the drums and these parts and these songs wouldn't have been as iconic without Dave recording it for the first time, of course, but then Taylor doing it live and doing it perfectly in his own way. Um, Everlong is one of those drum tracks that every drummer tries to learn how to do. And I think that you had to have these two guys on that list in some shape or form. I'm glad you brought it up. I had best of you because I was thinking Taylor Hawkins. But if you think about what Dave Grohl did, I had Dave Grohl also in my list elsewhere with Queens of the Stone Age. No one knows. But because we mentioned him, I'm crossing all of those off because it makes my list a little easier right now. But I mean, come on, Mm -hmm. two of the greatest modern drummers, Taylor Hawkins' death was such a big deal for me. Like I was sick to my stomach when it happened. I went on other podcasts Mm -hmm. for the next two weeks just talking about and gushing over this man's music. I had the opportunity back in 2007, the week before Echoes, Silence, Patience, and Grace came out, I actually met both Dave Grohl and Taylor Hawkins in an airport in Toronto. I was there for work, sitting in the airport, and I'm in my suit, finished a long conference, I'm sitting next to my boss, and Dave Grohl walks by me. So I turned to my boss and said, I'll be right back. I I need to go just talk to that person for a second. And he goes, why? I said, it's Dave Grohl. And he goes, oh, Nirvana. I said, yep, whatever. He didn't know, whatever, that's fine. I (laughs) I walked over, I said, Dave, I just want to let you know I'm a huge fan of the Foo Fighters. I, I've been listening for years, ever since Nirvana. I love the music that you do. And I just wanted to let you know that if my wife was here with me right now, she would be leaving me for you right now in person. <laughs> but thankfully, she's not with me. And he goes, oh, thank, I, he goes, I'm thankful too because my wife would be upset with that. We had a quick laugh and I just said, look, I just want to shake your hand and thank you for the music. And then Taylor Hawkins walks up. And I went, oh, my God, uh-uh. I'm like, Taylor Hawkins, dude. And Dave Grohl elbows him in the side and goes, see, man, people know who you are. And I'm like, of course. Uh-huh. I said, I said, in 1995, I went to see Alanis Morissette. And the one thing I remember is watching you play drums. And I am so happy that you're with this band. I said, I am so happy that the new album's coming out. I love The Pretender. I said, can I trouble you to please sign a small autograph for my wife because she'll never believe that I met both of you. And they both said, oh my God, are you kidding? And they signed an autograph. I gave them each a handshake and like the bro hug. And I said, let me let you guys go because I don't want to bug you. And Dave Grohl said, man, thank you so much. He goes, you're not like standing here for like a half hour. He's like, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for being a fan. And I, you know, walked off and instantly the two of them became gods in my mind. Right. And when Taylor Hawkins died, I just remember the friendship that they had that I got to see firsthand in that one interaction. So I'm so glad you brought them up. I'm so glad. Uh, obviously, it's oh, such a big is, loss. That's one of the coolest stories that I've ever heard. That, <laughs> I mean, I can't believe you got to meet both of them. I didn't know that. That's so awesome. I, and exactly what you said. And I was literally talking about this to one of my one of my students just before we hopped on this call. And he wanted to learn Everlong. 
And I was like, oh, no way. I'm going on this podcast tonight with my buddy Brian. And we're going to be talking about this song. I was going to bring it up, you know, definitely. And we were talking about Dave Grawl and Taylor Hawkins. And we were both amongst the mindset of these two guys love music. It wasn't about the fame. It wasn't about the money. Like you can still go to concerts and see Dave Grawl in the pit with everybody else Mm -hmm. because they just love music. And that comes across in their music, right? Like these songs, the passion behind what they were playing comes across. Even if you didn't like like the newest Foo Fighters records or whatever, the passion was still there. They weren't out to make a bad record or just like, ah, eh, whatever, you know, I'm just we're just going to throw this together because the label needs a new album. It's like these two guys loved what they were doing and yeah. still do. Dave Grohl still does the thing even after such a loss because he knows how much he loves music it's so cool so i'm glad yeah that's awesome that this is on the list well now i gotta follow that up though and that's tough there's so many drummers we haven't talked about tonight and there's only four spots left but i'm looking at this list and we have queen metallica tool Avenged sevenfold dream theater foo fighters I, I want to go back to classic rock again because there's a few drummers. I feel like if we don't mention, people are going to completely discredit me. But I want to stay modern because I feel like on this side of music, going back into classic rock might dip too much away from the sound we're getting here. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to stay modern with a modern drummer who I think is, and I'm going to say a hot take here, is the only reason a band is as beloved as they are. They're a fun band. I promise you, I love their music and they're a fun band. However, if there was another drummer playing with this band, Blink-182 would not be selling concert tickets at 200 and something dollars a piece for a tour this summer. I understand it is having Mark and Tom and Travis together, but if it's Mark and Tom and somebody else, it's not as good. Mm-hmm. And they would not be Blink-182. And I am not going to go with a hit. I'm going with a, it was definitely a single for them, but it's the song that would fit this mix the best. It's a kind of a darker, heavier song from the 2011 Neighborhoods album. So it's definitely, for this mix, it's a completely deep cut off the rails. Yeah. But I'm going to go with Blink-182's Up All Night. It is a masterclass in drumming that elevates an otherwise meh song. I listen to that song yeah, and I yeah. go, this is a rudimentary Blink-182 song. But the stuff he's doing in it, it makes it one of my favorite Blink-182 songs. He brings a c minus song to an a plus with his drums yeah and i think elevating a song by that much is reason enough to make this list so i'm going with blink 182 up all night and i know it's a weird one and i know people are probably driving off the road yelling right now but travis barker does belong on a greatest drummers list punk or not he is an um he was at the tribute shows for Taylor Hawkins, and he did an amazing job. He deserves to be there. He deserves to be on this list. That is awesome. I love that choice. And there had to be a Travis Barker song on here. And and you know what? 
I'll say this for anybody that is against our list so far, which hopefully that's not very many. There are so many drummers out there. There are so many. But this is the hardest thing to choose. We're not just doing this to make the worst drummers playlist ever. This is like really hard. And we have to keep in mind the drum set has been around since the 1910s, 1920s. And, and the modern drum set even later than that. But the amount of drummers that came out of that time from the 50s onward is a lot of drummers. If we're in this modern thing, I love it. The, Travis Barker, even everybody in, in Blink, Tom and Mark, they say this band would be terrible <laughs> without Travis, right? All those songs, they set out um, uh, the two hits, like First Date and All the Small Things. Those songs are hits in a pop respect, but the drumming makes it more palatable to somebody that, you know, it, like you can't help but get that song stuck in your head, but the drums make it like that much better, you know? Yes. And so Travis Barker is very transcendent, right? He's a pop icon, you know, married to a Kardashian now. He, you know, yeah, all of that. I don't but want his, like not, this has nothing to do with the TMZ stuff. This is all about. Right. This is the just skins. his skill, his yeah. skill. Right. And he's so good at that. There's no way he's transcendent. He's on every Zildjian symbol box that you'll find in Guitar Center. You know, he's just that good. And yeah, the band would not be the same without him. The original guy they had in the band, you know, the only song they had was I think it was Damn It was the only one. And yeah. that's a hit. Right. But the how many more hits came because of Travis? So exactly. Iconic. Exactly. Now, uh, ooh. This actually makes it kind of easy ish. And I, I again, we're we're kind of modern right now. And I like that this side has been fairly, fairly modern. Right. I'm going to go with another one who is probably the closest guy to Taylor Hawkins. Very mutual respect drummer wise. I'm going to go with Red Hot Chili Peppers, Danny California. Mm. Chad Smith is an iconic iconic drummer him and taylor hawkins were like best friends you can see after taylor had passed away the amount of stuff that chad was posting about taylor hawkins they, there was just this mutual respect between the two of them which was so fantastic but chad smith is a funky drummer he's an all-around drummer though too he's on the whole uh, it's actually taylor hawkins and chad smith on the new ozzy record they're yep. the two drummers on it yep so it's like the guy can play anything, but the thing that the Red Hot Chili Peppers are known for is their funky take on rock. And he's he's a funk drummer that's just in a rock band. And it's so cool. All of his grooves are great. But when I'm thinking iconic drum groove, iconic Chad Smith, that very beginning of Danny California, everybody knows what's coming when you hear that. Absolutely love that you brought Chad Smith in this conversation. I sometimes go automatically to the chicken foot, the group that he had with Sammy Hagar and, and uh, Michael Anthony and Joe Satriani mm -hmm. bringing that funky groove to this Van Halen esque type music. It really made a dynamic change for what would be, because if you think about the backdrop of Satriani, who's a Eddie Van Halen style player with Michael Anthony and Sammy Hagar, you're automatically going to think what would Alex 
Van Halen sound like in this group. Chad Smith went in a completely different direction and it works and it works well. Mm -hmm. So I love the pick. And I also love that you kind of gave me a palate cleanser to go off in another direction because there's one more song I wanted to include on this list. And it's the last song I could do for the night. So there's not a lot of drums for the first part of this song, but when they kick in, people time their friggin' new year's events to it. And I am going to go with 1981's face value and Phil Collins, because when you think about drummers, he needs to be in this conversation, but the iconic in the air tonight, obviously there's the hangover reference. I know everyone's going to think Mike Tyson, but come on when that drum hits, even after the iconic Phil, listen to the drum percussion that he put in this song. It is unbelievable. It's tribal, it's rock, it's got a pop element, and it's all happening at the same time. Think about the drum stuff he did with Genesis. Think about all the production work in drums that he did in the 80s to kind of bring that 80s drum sound. Phil Collins is a master of his craft. He's an absolutely incredible player. And this is his most iconic moment in music. So I thought it would be a nice fit in this. Coming out of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, I didn't feel like it was a big stretch either. So Phil Collins, in the air tonight. I love that choice. I, and I'm glad you said it because the whole time I'm looking at my list and I'm seeing in the air tonight on there and I'm going... One of us has to say it, but when <laughs> really is is the case. And I'm so happy that you said it because that song is transcendent. It's still popular today. It will always be a hit and nothing short of a great drum track. This is everything. This is when a drummer can create something that is just as catchy as a melody, right? Mm -hmm. Or just as catchy as any hook. These are drum hooks throughout this whole thing. And when you hear that dun 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 dun, you know, like that's the song. I could even play, you know, a terrible version on my chest of it. Dun 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 dun, and you know exactly what it is. Yes, it's just iconic, you know. And so this is that song, and I I love it. And if you haven't heard any of the early Genesis stuff, you have to listen to that because he's a prog drummer and he can drum. Don't let the pop. Phil Collins fool you because his drumming is fantastic. And, uh, you know, again, he's written songs for Disney with Tarzan, all these hits, you know, and his voice is iconic, but his drumming to a drummer, that's even more iconic than any of it. Amen. And I do want to give a shout out, though, because I'm a cover band geek. Non points cover of of In the Air Tonight was amazing as well because they brought the tribal element right from the beginning of the song and still was able to include that iconic fill and then take it into the rock world. So they kind of reinvented the song and also deserves a nod in this drumming episode because their version was really creative and really amazing as well. Now I do want to say, John, we're down to our last song. I'm going to just throw out three names right now that I know we're going to catch flack for not including one of the three. And you might go with a fourth, uh -huh. but just off the top of my head, we have not talked about Keith Moon. We have not talked about Bill Ward and we have not talked about Ringo Starr. So no matter what song you pick, 
we're upsetting somebody tonight. And that, I, I still have 10 other songs on my list of drummers we haven't touched on. This is easily, we could easily do a volume two for this episode and still have an endless amount of songs. Yeah. But you yeah. have the hardest part of the night now. Choosing the night closing track. That is so tough. And everything that you said is totally correct. Those three, I'm looking at the list of just, uh, I have no, I have no words other than I have to pick something. And if we can do a volume two, I will at least be able to sleep tonight. So I'm going to go with uh, Ringo Starr, the Beatles come together. That is what I'm going with because it's the drum track of the Beatles and Ringo had a lot of iconic stuff uh, in the early years too. you know, drive my car and whatever, all iconic drum beats that the Beatles, uh, even, even songs like something you can't help, but mention that one too, no. where it's just kick snare, kick snare, nothing else, nothing else. That's all the song needed. Right. But come together is the song that you hear. And if you, again, if you played that beat for anybody without the rest of the track behind it, Everybody would know what it is. Come Together is is such a perfect drum hook, right? It, exactly what we were talking about with In the Air tonight. Come Together is a hook. You hear it and it gets stuck in your head. It's triplets. It's just a perfect, perfect drum groove. And a perfect song to close the night out because I'll throw it back to something earlier in the night. And again, with my cover songs. But Ringo was the perfect pocket drummer. And I'll explain why. Another drummer we talked about tonight, Joey Kramer in Aerosmith. Aerosmith covered Come Together. And yeah. as great as Aerosmith's version is, the drums is... And, and, and Joey Kramer made the list tonight. So, I mean, at, we, we picked 20 drummers and he's on the list. And I think it doesn't hold a candle to Ringo's because Ringo's just has this feel. And Joey Kramer has a feel but he didn't capture the level that Ringo did in the Beatles original version. Once again, I'll throw out a remix, the remix that they did for the Beatles, the latest 50th anniversary remix where they did the stereo drum tracks. You really hear those fills and they're prominent and they brought them up in the mix a little bit more than they probably should have. Mm -hmm. But when you feel it on these new mixes, it even gives the modern music person who's not a classic rock guy the understanding of who Ringo Starr was as a drummer. And perfect, perfect closer, man. I love you it. You can't talk about this list without adding Ringo. And any, there are tons of Ringo haters out there. And it, it doesn't make sense because he maybe wasn't the most technically proficient. He knows that. He told his son to go take lessons from Keith Moon because he couldn't teach him, right? And so technically proficient, no. Knowing how to play for the song, I feel like almost every song on this list is knowing how to play for the song, and that's what makes an iconic drumbeat. Not just how many chops can you chop out in five minutes, right? It's how I can play to support this song while also creating things that are very catchy, very melodic on the drums. So, yeah, you can't do a list like this and not talk about Ringo. Well, there we have it, folks. That concludes side B of our greatest drum tracks mixtape, which consists of Queen, We Will Rock You, 
Metallica, Master of Puppets, Tools, Numa, Avenged Sevenfolds, Bat Country, Dream Theaters, Pull Me Under, Foo Fighters, Everlong, Blink 182's Up All Night, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Danny California, Phil Collins, In the Air Tonight, and The Beatles Come Together. Remember, you can head over to myweeklymixtape.com to hear all the songs we discussed in this mix through the playlist embedded on the episode page. John, once again, why don't you let people know how they can get in touch with you if they want to learn more, maybe take some lessons or just reach out to you to yell at you about some of the drummers we didn't include. Because yes, <laughs> I, I do get it sometimes after the episode and it's all in, it's all in good fun because we're just having conversations here and there are no right and wrong answers, but I'm looking at this tape going, this is one badass mix we made tonight, man. For sure. For sure. Uh, I'm looking at it too. And I'm like, I would listen to this. Or if I had a new student, I would go, you got to listen to this. These are the best drummers. And there are so many more that we could talk about. And these aren't in any order or anything like that of hierarchy. These are just drummers that got it right for the song in that moment in time which is so cool. And and it's transcendent. All these songs are very transcendent through the years. So that is, it's it's just a great list. I love it. But yeah, if you want to find me, johnsdrumstudio.com or johnsdrumstudio, that's on Instagram, or you can find me on Facebook, John Laurie, J-O-N-L-O-R-E-E. And then look for Tantric Dates or whatever else I'm doing. You'll, you will find me there. Well, man, it is always an absolute blast talking music with you. I really hope we could do a volume two at some point because we have a long ways to go with this list. But thank you so much for joining me on my weekly mixtape, man. Ah, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. Remember, you can find my weekly mixtape on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at my weekly mixtape. You can also head to myweeklymixtape.com to check out the full catalog of my weekly mixtape episodes. If you want to support the show, please consider becoming a Patreon mixtaper at patreon.com forward slash myweeklymixtape. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. Until next time, enjoy the tunes. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com 
code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.